From time to time, we have other pastors share from the Word of God at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. And today we have the privilege of hearing Pastor Chris Van Hook. Pastor Chris is heard on the Bible Answer Show. He is a great teacher, writes devotions and books. And today he's sharing the message from the Word of God. Here is Pastor Chris Van Hook. Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Verse 5, what you do at home is so important. Now, some would look at this and say, no, 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 this is just a cultural situation here. You know, in Crete and in the Roman culture, you know, women just didn't have any opportunity outside the home. And so this was just speaking culturally, and we can kind of check this one off the list. Well, I'm telling you, if you check this one off the list, you might as well check the rest of them off the list too. Okay? Because there's no indication here that Paul is speaking any differently to this group as any other group there. And these letters applied not just to those particular individuals, but to all in the church. So let's not look at it that way. Let's look and find out what it really wants to teach us. Um, There's a bigger principle that we need to learn here. And it doesn't say that you can't work outside the home. And biblically, there is not a mandate to not work outside the home. There's not a mandate. There may be some principles that we need to look at when we make those decisions. And we're not here to put legalistic burdens on families here. I want you to be clear with that. But even secular psychological research would tell you that raising children who are healthy and well-adjusted, and, and it, you know, America today, they hate the fact that even secular psychologists agree with this, involves having a father and mother, and that having uh, nurturing from mother at home is huge in well-adjusted children. That's just the truth. Again, not trying to put any guilt trips on anyone here. You see, I want you to know, ladies, and I want you to know this from the bottom of my heart, there's an element that you bring to the home that a father, husband cannot bring to the home. God has made you in a unique way just as he has made the man in a unique way. And there's things that each one brings to the home that no one else can do. And I believe that the the real implication of this word being busy or working at home is this. It's for you as, as wife and mom to keep a good and nurturing environment in the home. Uh, an environment to where your family will flourish. And can I say that and say that this is biblical? I think if you looked at Proverbs 31, and I'm not going to have you turn there because it's very long, but I would encourage everyone, every wife, every mom every woman, to read this, and then don't guilt yourself over the fact that you're not this person because I don't know any women that are, okay? This is an amazing proverb here. But I'm just going to share a few things from here. Verse 17 of Proverbs 31 says about, and this is called the wife of noble character. It says she sets about her work vigorously. And it says in 18, her lamp does not go out at night. And I know some of you moms are going, yeah, I know that one. Everybody else is asleep. I'm still up doing stuff. And, and that's often true. Verse 25 says she's clothed with strength and dignity. 
She can laugh at the days to come. I think that's because she's like, okay, when those kids are out here. <laughs> Woo! Verse 26, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. You see, it's not all just about I am the slave of the home. It doesn't really mean that at all. I would hope that you ladies are good delegators because that's going to help your home to flourish. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She works at home. Her children arise and call her blessed, not always when they're little. Hopefully it's going to happen later. And her husband also, and he praises her. And you husbands, when you have a wife like that, you better be praising her. You could go on and on here again. I suggest that you take some time to read that. But that's the evidence that there is a biblical model, there is a biblical principle for wives and moms at home. It's such an important task. Again, we're not saying you can't work outside. In fact, if you read that proverb, you'll see that this, this woman did all kinds of work outside the home. All kinds of work. I don't know how she did it. We would call her super mom today. But the principle here in this particular chapter is to be busy at home. And I believe being busy, helping that home to flourish. And that's going to look different in every household. No two households are going to look exactly alike. Don't compare yourself to anyone. Just look at what the Bible says. And if the Cretan shoe fits, let's, let's wear it. Now, part of the way that this is going to happen is in the next two instructions. So two things that you would do to help this happen in the home is this. It says to be kind and to be subject to their husbands. In other words, part of the way your home's going to flourish is that you're to be kind and to be subject to your husbands. The word kindness is an active word. Kindness, especially when you look at it in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's a word of action. It's not just, you know, I'm nice, that's part of it, but I actually do things that show how nice I really am. It's, a, it's an active word. Kindness is active. And then the last one, of course, is being subject to husbands. And I'm not going to go through a great extensive uh, period of time on that. But um, being subject to our husbands, Ephesians 5, that's what we're taught. That is the order of things in the home. It means allow your husband to be the spiritual leader in the home. That's what it really means. Allow your husband to be the spiritual leader. And I know some of you are going, but he won't do it. And I know that's true. And some of you men need to step it up. And then the men come back and go, she won't let me do it. <laughs> Ladies, you need to listen to that. He doesn't do it the way I would. That's right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and praise the Lord that you don't always do it the way he does. That's why God puts us together. What does the Bible say in Genesis, ladies, that your role is to be? I know you all know this. It's to be a helpmate. It says that your husband, who was given the task in the garden, is the task-oriented person, and you're to be the helpmate in that family. It has nothing to do with equality. It has to do with the role that's played, and it's an important role. Both roles are equally important. And ladies, I'm sorry, but if you don't like that, you're going to have to take it up with God, not me. I didn't invent it. He did. Now look, as practical as Paul is, and I love this. He doesn't just give you all these instructions and leave you there. He gives you the motivation, the purpose of why you should do this, the biblical reason. Why do I have to be this way? I don't want to be this way. 
Why do I have to? Well, he gives you the reason. And it's not because it's the popular thing to do, because in today's society, these things aren't popular. And it's not even for your own self-satisfaction to go, well, I, yeah, I do that. You know? <laughs> Pretty good. No. And it's not so you can go around looking spiritual to everyone else. No, he says very specifically, if you look here at the end of the verse, he says it's so that no one will malign the Word of God. That's a purpose and motivation. It's so that no one will look at the Word of God and then look at you as a Christian and say, I don't want anything to do with that. Why would I want to do that? What hypocrisy we see there. It's so that no one can malign the Word of God, but instead the Word of God will be proven to other people as worthy and, and valuable and true because it affects your life and the way you live. Okay, next group coming up here. Young men. Who are the young men? The scholars that I have studied here, uh, there's quite a bit of an agreement on this. A young man, they don't say when it switches to be for sure the older man, but a young man starts one day after 13 years old in that culture in, that this was written in. Isn't that interesting? Now, I don't know if that would have been true in Roman culture so much, but certainly in Jewish culture because they have a ceremony to designate that. What's that called? Bar mitzvah, that's right. You're recognized, you're old enough at 13 years and one day to comment on the scriptures. How interesting is that? Some of you guys in your family devotions having your 13-year-old commenting on the scriptures to you. But that's what it was. And so they say that began there. And so verse 6 of our text says this, Similarly, encourage the young men, the young men now, to be self-controlled. Well, now he's used that word again, and I think we all know that if you're 13 years old in one day, this is going to be pretty important, isn't it? Not too many 13-year-olds are all that self-controlled. They may have been more in that culture. But again, being of sound mind is what he's really talking about here. Thinking clearly. Encourage the young men, Titus, to do this. Then verse 7, this is important. He says, in everything, you, Titus, in everything, Set them an example by doing what is good. Now, in a certain way, Titus couldn't really set the example for the older men because he was so much younger than most of them. Yeah, I mean, you still can, but, but not in the same way that Titus could to the younger men because he was closer to their age. And I want you to think about this. You know, it's one thing for your young people, and if there's young people in here, I hope you're listening to this as well. It's one thing to be instructed by an older person. And how many of you are instructing your youngsters and what you're getting is this, right? If not physically, at least in their mind, you see that going, right? Why? Well, because we're all that way. It's like you don't understand anymore. You're too old to get it. You know, in my day, it was you're over 30, you're over the hill. Oh, my gosh. Imagine that. But a younger person, a younger person, especially for a young man, to have an example of a peer doing the things that are spoken about in the Bible has tremendous, tremendous impact on a young person. You know, they act like their parents are supposed to do this, but man, this guy, he, why isn't he wild and crazy like me? You see, it has a tremendous impact, and I would say especially on a young man. I think you can see, 
you know, I just throw out, throw out an example, a young man like Tim Tebow. The impact he is having on young men, he's having an impact on everybody, but especially on young men who look at this guy and go, what a tremendous person this is, and, and he's having a great impact for the gospel with other young men. You are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. And trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. And he says this now to Titus next. He says, in your teaching, so be an example, but in your teaching now, show integrity. Uh, The New American Standard says purity in doctrine. I like that. Show integrity in what it is that you're teaching. The Greek word means not corrupt. So what he's saying is, Titus, don't corrupt the word of God. Teach it the way it's meant to be taught. Teach what it says, not what you want to give an opinion on. Not in a self-serving way to, to gain popularity or have people all you know, think you're the greatest speaker in the world or to gain wealth or power as we see oftentimes the Word of God being used for today. Amen? No, he says don't corrupt the Word of God. Teach it with integrity and purity in doctrine. And he says with seriousness, gravity, that's seriousness. It's the same word being as worthy of respect. And then he says in verse 8, and soundness of speech. Literally, again, being a healthy word, a healthy word. And now listen to this last part here in verse 8. He says, that cannot be condemned. So he's saying that, that, Titus, you need to present the word when you're teaching with integrity, with purity of doctrine. He says, and you need to present it. Not just the content of what you're saying, but the way you're saying it has to be with soundness of speech, healthy word that cannot be condemned. And as I was reading this, I was thinking about how Pastor Michael had shared a little while ago, and I know this is true because I've heard these messages. Pastor Michael had shared with us that, that today there's, there's pastors in pulpits that feel like, you know, when you're getting up there, you've got to be real up there. So they're being encouraged to even cuss in church. Use these words. Be real up here because people need to know you're real. Really? I would say that the instruction here for Titus would tell you no. But it's not just in Titus. Ephesians 5.4 says this. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, this was written to all of us as Christians. How much more a pastor standing in a pulpit teaching the Word of God? Now, Paul, as usual, doesn't just leave Titus right there. His head might be spinning, but he says, look, there's some motivation for this. Here's why you need to do this. He says, so that, looking again at the end of verse 8, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing to say bad about us, meaning all of us as Christians. 
So those that were opposing Titus, and again, it was probably those Judaizers we're talking about, but others as well, and we have those people today who oppose what we're teaching. But he's saying if we do it this way, those people can't oppose us, and they'd be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us that can stick. All right, last, last group here. And this one is, is a difficult one in a way here. Let's read it, verse 9. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them and not talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Now, I'll just tell you, a lot of people have a hard time with the fact that why does Paul teach slaves to be obedient here? Isn't he condoning slavery then? Isn't he, shouldn't he be teaching you know, slaves to want their freedom and revolt from their masters? And I want to make it very clear here. There's nowhere in Scripture that condones slavery. It doesn't do that. Okay? It doesn't speak on it in this cultural sense, and here's why. Right here, Paul is making it clear. He is speaking to those who are Christians that are slaves. Now, these slaves, the word doulos, in Greek, of course, can mean slave, and it can mean bond slave. It's used interchangeably with both. There's some who would say it always just means slave. But we know that in this culture, by the way, maybe you didn't know this, it, it is said that half of Roman society were doulases, either voluntary slaves or involuntary slaves. Half of the society was. And remember that a lot of these people were bond slaves. They had maybe been involuntary, but at a point in time where they gained their freedom, chose to stay. Or they may have been paying a debt off and the debt got paid and they chose to stay. That's what the bond servant is. That's what we are in Jesus Christ. We are bond slaves. We have chosen to attach ourselves to the household of God. And that's what a lot of these people... Well, why did Paul even speak about this then? Why would he have to, to go into this? Well, think about that. If half of the Roman society was slaves and in Crete and every other Roman province, people were coming to Christ in big numbers, then you had these people who were masters and they were slaves. And you remember back to our scripture reading that Jim so eloquently read for us? The scripture reading said there is no difference between slaves and masters in Christ. We are all one in Christ. And so what Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to teach that these slaves don't take advantage of your masters just because they're a brother in Christ. Don't be lazier because, well, after all, my brother, he'll understand. We're brothers. Come on, bro. You know, don't, you know, don't be so harsh on me, bro. We, we can tend to do that, can't we? Well, if the Cretan shoe fits, how does that work for us? Well, I think we need to understand that this is an employer-employee relationship that we have. We've chosen to work for someone. And remember again here, that Paul didn't just leave us with this. He said there's a reason for it. You can look in verse 10 there. He says, So that in every way they will make the teaching about our God and Savior attractive. He's not telling a slave even not to desire their freedom. He's saying behave this way because it makes the teaching about our God and Savior attractive. So what is he saying first? Your first priority is not your physical freedom. Your first priority is the freedom you've already been given in Christ. And you want to make that attractive to other people, and you have an opportunity to do that. 
So he gives us that motivation. Um, and again, we want to put, put the shoe on here. We want to look at this in terms of our employee-employee relationship. If you have a Christian employer, don't take advantage of that employer. In fact, we're to do just the opposite. We're, we should be the best employee of every company that we may work for, whether it's an education, whether it's a company that you work for, wherever it is. We should be the best example of a worker that you can have. And I would have to say, in my experience, it's not always been that way. I've had guys, you know, come and do work at my house. I hired them because they were Christians, and I would never hire them again. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that a terrible thing to, to, to say about a, a believer? The witness that you're leaving there? So Paul is making it very clear here. This is all about your relationship with Christ first and being an example uh, now, why did he put in there, in particular, not to steal from the master? Well, remember, a lot of these bond slaves had control over the whole household and all of the finances. The husband would you know, just be off doing his thing and put a steward in charge. That was his job. So it would have been easy for him to do it. Paul's saying, no, don't do that. Ephesians uh, 6, 7, and 8 says... Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And I, there's other verses that you can look at that all teach the same thing. So just uh, in conclusion, from all of these different areas and different groups that are spoken to, you know what, what really do we want to take away from this teaching that Paul was giving to Titus to teach the members of his congregation? And I think that probably each one of us as we've gone through has had at least one, one shoe to put on, right? We've had one, maybe more. And the, the key is, are we going to own up to it? Or are we just going to continue to excuse ourselves in that area where we had to put that shoe on and say, yeah, whatever? I think we want to own up to it. You know, I, I, I kind of take this the same way as if Paul was writing to us pastors here at Living Truth. You know, we have the same obligation that Titus had to his congregation to teach the word in purity and integrity so that you might find that shoe you need to put on and by the power of the Holy Spirit put it on. And it's not really an obligation, it's a privilege to be able to do that because we're pointing out areas in growth that we all need. And let's remember, what were the three goals or motivations for all of these? So that no one will malign the word of God, so that those who oppose us will be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say because our example lives up to what we say. And thirdly, so that in every way that we'll make the teaching about God attractive. That's our goals. It's all about being a good representative of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it gives us the ability to share with credibility with people. I just want to close with this. In the movie Woodlawn, I hope you've seen that, but if you haven't, there's a great depiction in this movie about the great movement of God there was in the 1970s, the Jesus movement it was called. And at one high school in racially torn Birmingham, Alabama, it was nicknamed Bombingham, it was so bad. Almost every member of a high school football team, after hearing the gospel, responded to the invitation to receive Christ. And their lives changed so radically, a life divided by racial hatred to love for one another. It spilled over into the entire school, and then it, it even went out to their rival school 
where they did the, had the same experience there, the whole football team coming to Christ. And eventually it permeated the whole city of Birmingham. The love that these young men had and the demonstration and example they were of Jesus Christ. And one of the great scenes in the movie, one of the great scenes and lines of any movie, and it's a true story, it is about their coach. He was a non-believer. And he just was marveling at what was happening to his team. He tried to prevent the, the evangelist from even sharing with his guys at first. And then he watched all this happen during the season with his team. And at, at a certain point in time, he finally, finally sees the light. And according to the movie, and I don't know if it happened exactly that way, but he walked into a church where many of his uh, African-American players went to church. And he spoke in church, and he gave a little speech, but the line that he said that was so critical was, I want what my players have. And he gave his life to Christ, and he was baptized. You see, when we are living our lives in the way that Titus was to teach his congregation. And as we walk out in our world, what we want to have is we want people to look at our life and we want them to say, I want what they have. Now you already taught on this on Titus chapter 2, verse 13. But I would, if I would ask you again if you could explain it one more time, what the blessed hope is. A lot of people, a lot of Christians don't understand exactly what the blessed hope means. First off, can you, can you explain what hope is? Hope is a great word in the Bible because it's not just I hope so. It's a Greek word called elpis, E-L-P-I-S. And it, it means it's just faith looking forward. It's, it's not I hope this is going to happen. It's I know this is going to happen. It's just a matter of time. God's timing. So the blessed hope is a matter of God's timing. It's blessed because it involves the blessed one, the Messiah. It's a hope because it's going to happen. The Bible's hope is not, I hope so, but I know so. Just a matter of God's timing. And the, the blessed hope is explained, Oscar, in verse 13. It's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say, this is a great deity verse. Jesus is described as God, our great God and Savior. And one day we will see the appearing of the glory of Jesus Christ. And you and I have talked much eschatology. So this is an eschatological verse. And it has to do with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's very exciting. And I think that glory is going to appear in a darkened sky. I take that as right after the sixth seal in the book of Revelation, sun, moon, and stars. You know, there's some sort of cosmic disturbance and the glory of Jesus appears in the sky. And uh, this is our blessed hope. It's the return of the king, the return for his bride, to save his bride, to judge all unrighteousness, to usher in a time when he will uh, rule and reign in righteousness where the golden age will come, the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. All of these things are connected to the blessed hope, the appearing of his glory. That's why it's blessed. That's why it's a hope. And that hope is the anchor of our souls. And, you know, that, that is something that uh, I would just encourage our listening audience, memorize the verse because it's a deity verse, but it's also a great verse about the second coming of Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. 
Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.